Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers and seasons eatings to you, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. The culinary landscape is ever evolving, so you'll want to tune in every weekend because on this show, you'll hear from celebrity chefs and pastry aficionados, restaurateurs and molecular gastronomers, food bloggers and enthusiasts, cookbook authors, and more. Every week I dish on fabulous food and fine wine and spirits, on good health and living the best life. So I hope that you won't miss a weekend of delicious conversation with me. I do have lots of extra inspiration where I serve up seconds at chefjamie.com and you'll find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So please become a friend. And if you've missed a show or you want to master a topic, you can always find my podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So coming up, we have a full plate. In fact, you'll want to stay tuned throughout the hour. But first... I hope that you're healthy and well this weekend and that you're wearing a mask. It's my goal at the start of this show to share a technique or a tip or my best chef's tips to make you the best cook you know. And we are just days away from Thanksgiving. So let's talk turkey, shall we? The Thanksgiving turkey a labor of love. Whether you're having just a few gathered around your table or you're socially distancing safely outside with a bigger group of friends and family, the roasting and the basting and the seasoning for the turkey day bird is really what sets the holiday apart from the rest, right? It has to look and taste terrific. However, achieving that is a challenge, even for great cooks. So I have some of my best tips to share with you in two parts, in fact. I want to talk crispy skin and quick cooking. And then I also want to share with you some interesting information about Thanksgiving 2020, albeit it has been a very odd year, right? A challenging one at that. Your turkey shouldn't be challenging. And interestingly enough, whether you are celebrating with six or 60 people, the trend this year is a smaller turkey, in fact. And so you should be able to find a smaller bird than ever as they are being bred that way. And they should be truly tasty and delicious. I've always preferred a smaller turkey. And so this is my year. Now, When it comes to that crispy skin, first and foremost, whether you brine wet or dry, you want to plan in advance. And, you know, every Thanksgiving over the past many years, I have had the privilege of answering last minute turkey talk questions the morning of Thanksgiving. And I've gotten crazy questions like, um, my turkey is alive in the backyard. Now what do I do? Or, um, there's always the common challenge of my turkey still frozen. Can you help? Uh, I can add a tip here and tell you that a frozen turkey takes 24 hours for every five pounds of turkey to thaw in the refrigerator. So please plan accordingly. But the most common question I get asked is, how do I achieve crispy 
skin. And so I will tell you, as I mentioned, whether you brine wet or dry, you'll need to plan in advance because the night before Thanksgiving, you want the turkey rinsed, of course, thawed or fresh, and then rinsed and patted dry. Because you're going to place your turkey on a rack on a baking sheet and you're going to leave it uncovered in the refrigerator the night before Thanksgiving. The cold air from the refrigerator will dry out the skin. And no matter which way you cook it, you will get crispy goodness that is so delectable you will be a culinary hero. This idea of drying the skin out works for the perfect Sunday roast chicken as well. You do get crispy goodness and moist meat. And it's just a simple trick to be mindful of that really makes a difference. Now, when it comes to a quick cook on a turkey, you might be cocking your head to the side and thinking, what is she talking about? Well, let me tell you. It's actually all about the spatchcock. Yes. Over the last few years, I have been making a spatchcock turkey where the backbone is removed. I actually like to call it flat out because nobody likes that spatchcock word. (laughs) And I will tell you what I love about a flat out turkey. It cooks quicker. It gets super golden. You get crispy skin guaranteed and it tastes delicious because it's never dry. Now, it cooks more quickly because it's a butterflied version of a turkey, right? And you really do get perfectly cooked white and dark meat with this method. So the term spatchcock is the method of removing the turkey's backbone so that you can flatten out the body. And I will say that your butcher should happily do this for you or the butcher counter at your favorite uh, supermarket, of course. And the flatter shape ensures that the meat cooks evenly and more quickly. And the legs reach that safe temperature without ever overcooking the breast meat. Now, the result of a flat out turkey is hands down to me the easiest, most reliable journey to a juicy, moist turkey with incredibly crispy skin. Now, the skin of a flat out bird is all on top, right? So it will crisp up beautifully on its own, but I do suggest you use my overnight drying method in the refrigerator. And then, of course, there is the recipe. So I call it a flat-out herb and butter-basted turkey. What do you do, you ask? Well, you combine garlic and shallot and chives and sage and parsley and thyme and lemon zest in a food processor until it's smooth. And you add good copious amounts of salt and pepper to season well. And you take your flat out turkey and you lay it breast side up on a rack on a sheet pan. And you loosen the skin between the breast meat and you rub that herbaceous, delicious butter under the skin. And then you roast the turkey. High heat, by the way, 450 degrees for an hour and 15 minutes for a 12-pound bird, or until a meat thermometer reads the leg meat at 160 degrees for safety. And then you take the turkey out and let it rest for 15 minutes. And in an hour and a half, you have what might be the ultimate turkey. Now, I'd love to share the recipe with you. 
It's the bonus this week. It's my Thanksgiving gift to you, happily, actually. And so you'll need to email me, please. Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. I will gladly send you my flat-out herb and butter-basted turkey to make you a culinary hero and to make your Thanksgiving less stress because really, we've had enough stress this year, don't you think? Now, if you go to chefjamie.com, and search Make Ahead Gravy, you will get a Make Ahead Turkey Gravy that will wow you. Because I think that making turkey last minute is just loony, really. I make a base gravy, as I call it, and then I add those pan drippings from the turkey, no matter which way you roast it, right before I bring the turkey gravy up to a simmer and serve it. And I have to tell you, It's really out of this world. So print out my make-ahead turkey gravy recipe from chefjamie.com. And while you're there, you can always search for my Thanksgiving planner. That will give you everything you need from a week before up until day of, including shopping for non-perishables now and getting everything ready to make the day a delight. Because isn't that what we're all looking forward to? A celebration. That's the turkey talk for this week, but there is more because coming up, David Leet, my dear friend and an uber talent is here of Leet's Culinaria, of course, and he is going to talk about brining. Later on in the hour, we're going to segue. There is a really fascinating continuing study on intermittent fasting, and you know it, of course, because it's uh, the talk of the town everywhere. But in the acclaimed guide, What to Eat When, Dr. Michael Roizen and Dr. Michael Krupain reveal why what you eat when can give you a healthier life or disease prevention or better performance. And so the cookbook just released, What to Eat When, the cookbook. And I am delighted that Dr. Krupain is stopping by to dish. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as we celebrate the season with fabulous food, fine wine, and more because a little celebration is in order. Grab a snack and come on back. Don't go away. There's lots more deliciousness coming up next. Delivering the world of food directly to your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Do you want to be a Thanksgiving god or goddess? Well, this man has the best tips, tricks, and recipes to make you a culinary hero on the most delicious day of the year. We are planning for a Thanksgiving feast, so stack the flavor cards in your favor and listen up. David Leet has a culinary lesson you don't want to miss. David is a three-time James Beard Award-winning food writer and the founder of LeetsCulinaria.com, where he shares hot food and dry wit. He's also the author of The New Portuguese Table and the very moving, honest, funny, and real memoir entitled Notes on a Banana. 
He is an expert on many things. His blog has been much adored for its deliciousness since 1999, and I am very proud to have him as a culinary contributor to this show. He's back with Thanksgiving inspiration from the simple to the sophisticated. David Leet is here to dish. Hi, so glad to have you back. How are you, David? I'm doing well. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jamie. Well, thank you. Okay, share your secrets. What's on your Thanksgiving menu? Is there a theme? Because I started planning. Well, there is somewhat of a theme. Um, I always do my Portuguese turkey with two stuffings. And uh, that comes from my family. And the the story behind that is that the turkey is presented or prepared very simply. It's just... You have an orange that you chop up, a lemon you chop up, some bay leaves, and you throw it inside. You sprinkle it with, um, on top you put some butter, you rub some butter, and then you sprinkle it with paprika and salt and pepper, and that's it. The secret and all the fun stuff happens in the two different dressings that go on the side. We don't put it inside, it's on the side. And when I was growing up, my godmother, who is a French-Canadian, always served this thing called French stuffing, which... Is it a, a misnomer because it doesn't go inside the turkey? But it had potatoes and it had pork and it had beef. And it was kind of a mashed potatoy, kind of chunky thing that was served on the side. And I always adored it. Mm. And my grandmother always made this bread stuffing that had chorizo, which is our Portuguese sausage, which has wine in it and paprika and tons of garlic. And it was very red, like brick red, because it had a lot of wine in it and paprika and garlic and mm. all these things. So you had this very bready one that's red, yeah. and sort of white one that had meat in it. Well, I was in Portugal, and of course they don't celebrate Thanksgiving in Portugal, and I came across both dressings. They were in a turkey recipe, and I thought, isn't this amazing? So in my cookbook, I put both of them together, and so that is going to be the main say. That's going to be the centerpiece. Of that course. We're going to have. Of course. Now, wait, I'm going to stop you for a moment there before we move on to sides and sweets and all that good stuff. Because we had a, what I thought was very captivating and well received conversation about to brine or not to brine. Your Washington Post article that got a lot of attention. And we talked chickens and pork roast and those things that are often considered bettered by a brine. You do not brine your turkey at all. Do you do you dry brine? Do you salt rub? Do you uh, air dry? Do you well, prep? I air dry in the refrigerator just so I can get you know that wonderful pellicle that where it, it sort of dries and therefore you get this you get a much browner, wonderful, crispy skin. Yes, I will do that for twenty four hours. And the reason why I don't salt brine, it's it's silly. It's just tradition. No one hmm. salt, no one brined their turkeys when I was growing up. Sure. And so I just the idea of doing that's kind of weird, and also it's very hard to find a container that that's lar- that is that large. I now, agree. We do have a cooler that we can use that we can keep outside, but there have been one or two people we know of in this area who have their cooler outside or their turkey brining, and when they wake up on Thanksgiving morning, some animal has taken it away. <laughs> So there are there are downsides, no doubt. I agree with you. I, I think the container issue of brining a turkey is a challenge, unless you have a pot large enough and an extra fridge. I have 
I have come to dry brine now, so I'll salt rub it and I mix other aromatics and some brown sugar because I have a very sweet palate, as you know, into the salt um, to dry brine essentially the 24 hours before. But the 24 before that, because Thanksgiving is a holiday of preparation, uh, I do air dry like you talk about for that crispy skin. And and we should just review. It means you take the turkey out of whatever package it came in, whether it came from the high-end butcher and it's in a bag or you bought a turkey, you know, from a... Uh, you know, from the meat section of your supermarket and you rinse it and clean it and put it on a rack on a sheet pan and you leave it open in the fridge. And it does, it does give you crispier skin. And I think it also seals in the juices when you roast. It's like the, the simplest thing you can do to better your turkey. Because I think what happens is the skin, because it's, it's when, especially in those plastic packages, it's sitting in its own juice. In so moisture, right. It's very moisture, and when it's in the refrigerator and the refrigerator is dry, it starts to dry out, and I think what happens is the pores of the skin start to close up a bit more, too. Yes. So therefore, that holds in a bit more of the juice. Yes, and so I love the culinary science. Thank you. And I love your idea of two stuffings, although you don't yeah. stuff the bird. There is still tremendous controversy about stuffing a bird. I know, and I love the crispy edges of a stuffing baked in a casserole dish, essentially. I do too. That's the best part to me. I make stuffing muffins because I want crispy all the way around. So I'll put the stuffing into a muffin tin. But I love your idea of potato and bread. You get a mix of both. Um, What other sides are you serving? Well, I always serve the classic green bean casserole, but I, I make it homemade. Yes. And which is not that hard. You know, you get the green beans and then you, um, you know, you, you blanch them and you make a, a white, a white sauce, a cream sauce, and you get the mushrooms, you saute them, mm. you mix them all up and then you put it in the oven and then you, you can do, um, you can take onion rings and uh, just buy them like, um, the canned ones that people do, or you can make your own onion rings, which is so easy. And while everything is baking, just slice them. And then you can just fry them. You can put them on top. And it's very easy. On the site we have it, the photograph shows that it's served in its own cast iron skillet. Yes, it looks so good. It looks so good. I love these buttery pull-apart rolls, which are so incredibly easy to make. And you make them in um, any kind of a cast iron or any kind of an enamel um, pot, like Mm -hmm. a... um, a Dutch oven, and sure. they're so easy to make, and you brush them on top, and they're pull apart so the sides are that wonderful, soft side. Mm. We love your daily dish, but all of the deliciousness for Thanksgiving is posted at Leet's Culinaria, L-E-I-T-E-S, culinaria.com. Um, I always love when you come and share your passion, David, so thank you for sharing Thanksgiving with us. May your family and friends uh, just be filled with fabulous food and joy and all wonderful things this feasting holiday. Thank you, Jamie, and yes. yours. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you can find a fabulous read uh, in the beautiful writing of David's most recent book, his memoir called Notes on a Banana. You can follow David on social at 
David Leet, L-E-I-T-E, and you can find recipes galore to make your Thanksgiving the best ever. Once again, at LeetsCulinaria.com. Stay tuned because we are all about scrumptious celebrations. There's lots more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio to feed your soul. I am a great fan of what to eat when, and you have heard Dr. Michael Roizen and Dr. Michael Krupain on this show uh, many times before, in fact. Their acclaimed lifestyle guide reveals when to eat foods for healthier living and disease prevention, for better performance and a longer life. And their key is eating only when the sun is up and eating more early, less later, right? Well, what should you be eating is the question. In the follow-up release, uh, and I will say companion to the book, if you haven't read it, you must, there is a a new extraordinary cookbook that delivers over 125 recipes so that you can put the lessons into practice. It's called The What to Eat When Cookbook from the New York Times best-selling authors. And so maybe that salmon burger that you love for dinner, you should be eating for breakfast. That's right. How about a, a decadent chocolate mousse made a little bit healthier, covering breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert And the best times to eat all four, the What to Eat When cookbook will become your best friend for living your best life and eating well. I am delighted to have Dr. Michael Krupain back to the show. He's the medical director for the Dr. Oz Show and the chief medical officer of ShareCare, a board-certified doctor in preventative medicine. He is also the uh, previous food safety testing director at Consumer Reports and an Emmy Award winner, in fact. And he does love to eat. So I like to say, Dr. Krupain, you and I can definitely be friends, and I'm delighted to welcome you back, and kudos to you. The cookbook is really well done. Well, thanks so much, and it's great to talk to you again. Well, thank you. I'm glad to have you here. Okay, can we talk about what to eat when for just a moment? Just as as a quick recap, right? You eat when the sun is out. Uh, when there is light, uh, many people call that intermittent fasting, right? Or the certain amount of hours. Um, but just give us, you know, a, a, a quick reminder, please. Yeah, sure. So it all starts with understanding your circadian rhythm. And your circadian rhythm is your body's internal clock. And that clock is set by the sun. And I think we all know about our circadian rhythm because we know about jet lag. When we travel <laughs> to another time zone, we are exhausted because our body's clock is out of whack, because the sun rises and sets at a different time. But our circadian rhythm is not important just for our sleep. It actually regulates all of the functions of our body. And its job is really to get our body ready to do the right thing at the right time. And it even works on our metabolism. Our metabolism actually changes throughout the day. And our metabolism sets up our body, so it wants us to eat more early and eat less later. So to make breakfast and lunch our largest meals of the day and dinner the smallest because of the way it processes food. In fact, when we eat calories early, they don't seem to count as much as when we eat them later. 
mm-hmm. and then it wants us to eat with the sun. So to eat those calories while the sun is shining, and then stop eating when the sun is set. So basically to fast overnight. And so that, as you said, is a form of intermittent fasting. And what's interesting, I think, is we've seen since we wrote our first book, What to Eat When, that intermittent fasting has really uh, become quite trendy. Taken off, uh, but for a lot sure. Of, yeah. But a lot of people aren't doing it quite the right way, and they're making two big mistakes. Okay. The first mistake is that people are having their largest meal at night, right? So they're fasting all day, and then they're eating a huge dinner. The opposite of what you should be doing, you should be eating more early and less later. And then the second mistake, which I think you'll, you'll enjoy the most, is that people are only focusing on the fasting and sort of when they're not eating and not thinking about what they're eating, right? right? And so that's why we wrote the new What to Eat When cookbook, so we could combine that science of when to eat with the science of what to eat so we could really maximize people's health. And you have. You've put it all together because I think that, uh, albeit we might be making some mistakes in intermittent fasting, but we understand the concept, right? The Mm -hmm. limited amount of hours and then the time fasting for the body to burn and regroup and recharge and recover. I will tell you, as a professional chef, and Dr. Coupain, you know this from a a couple of times you've been here before and graced this show, and Dr. Roizen as well. Um, I eat for a living. I mean, I cook for a living and I eat for sheer thrill, I should say. And I have learned to eat when the sun is out. Um, I think I teased and joked with Dr. Roizen in a previous interview, can I have um, ice cream for breakfast? And he said, you sure can. And truth be told, um, I, I tend to wear my heart on my sleeve and lay it all out here. I am at the leanest I've been and I'm eating what I love and I'm eating what I cook. And it has proven successful for me. It is based on your science. And so to have a cookbook to go along with it, I think is so empowering for food lovers to be able to enjoy what they love and still live and maintain that healthy lifestyle and that good performance and the resistance of disease. There's more to it than just the weight loss portion, though. You talk about reducing the risk of chronic disease, uh, even ways of pre- preventing the complications from COVID, because now we have a, a, a disease, a, another disease to consider. Yeah, you've given me so much to talk about. So, <laughs> I mean, definitely thinking about COVID, I mean, the thing that puts us at risk from complications from COVID, we're seeing sort of worse than many other countries, mm-hmm. is our prevalence of chronic disease. Mm. Right? People are overweight, people have diabetes, people have all of these conditions, and eating matching both the when and the what way of eating is a way to help uh, prevent those comp- those diseases, help reverse them. Uh, but you, ha- you have to match both the what and the when. And then when it comes to eating ice cream for breakfast, <laughs> I can't believe Mike endorsed that. Well, but, not uh, really endorsed. Sorry. I-, I think he played along, but using the example of... I know if I'm going to work out and I'm going to burn those calories, I do have my indulgence much earlier in the day than the midnight craving. And I think it was an extreme example. But mind you, yes, uh, you know, I'm not eating a whole pie in the morning if that makes anyone feel any better. Yeah, well, I mean, that, but that's so... According to the science, though, that would be the best time if you're going to eat a whole pie, which you shouldn't, no. or, eat, no. or eat ice cream. The morning is a better time because our body's actually set up to burn carbohydrates better in the morning, and it's designed to burn fat in the evening. So ice cream, pie, a lot of sugar. And so you want to get those early, and then when you get to your fast later in the day, 
and you've burned through those carbohydrates, you're more likely to get into that fat-burning mode. So it is Yes. It is a better time to eat those foods for sure. And and it is. I will tell you, these are dishes that I can't wait to make. From the roasted cauliflower with the romesco to uh, a beautiful penne with cherry tomatoes and basil, proving that you do eat pasta, uh, which I love. Um, there's lots of wonderful, healthful foods, but there's also some indulgence and, you know, giving in to some of the things that that we crave. I wonder, what did you eat for breakfast today? Will you tell us? Today, I actually had a very traditional breakfast. Okay. I had, I had some Greek yogurt and uh, a pear. Okay. Um, and a little bit of granola. Okay. And then uh, I followed that up not too long after with some leftover pasta, some uh, whole wheat pasta with broccoli, which is actually my traditional favorite breakfast. I love eating uh, pasta. You say pasta. There's lots of pasta recipes in this book because mm-hmm. pasta is my favorite food, mm-hmm. um, and I like to eat it cold, especially for breakfast. We probably talked about it before, but when you pasta is made up of starch, right? There's a lot of starch, and starch is basically a long chain of sugar. So when you eat regular, typical pasta, you're getting a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of simple sugars that aren't so great for your body. Right. Whole grains a better choice, but then when you uh, heat it up, cook it, and then let it cool, some of that starch becomes something called resistant starch. And resistant starch actually acts more like fiber in your body than like sugar. So it feeds the good gut bacteria, it gets absorbed more slowly, and helps you feel full. So you ate your pasta cold. So you're an advocate of cold pasta salads. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I like pasta every way, but the best way to eat it is cold. That's quite genius, actually. Um, You have dinner for breakfast, essentially. And that's what you talk about, about turning it around. When it comes to pasta, you make mac and cheeseless. And I found it in the book. I found it intriguing, and I can't wait to make it. Will you tell us about it? Is this one of your signatures? This is actually uh, one of the dishes that Chef Jim Perko created. So we wrote this book with me and Mike wrote it. I actually created about half the recipes. Right. And Jim created the other. We worked together, of course. And Jim teaches culinary medicine at the Cleveland Clinic hmm. and is a sort of a, a genius of making things uh, without cheese that tastes creamy, without sure. fat that tastes mm-hmm. rich, and without sugar that tastes sweet. And so he employed all of those skills to make the mac and cheeseless, which is a uh, pretty simple dish, but he, he uses um, cashews in there to make it creamy, and that's sort of yes. one of a thing I actually learned from Jim is creating these uh, creams out of cashews. Uh, to add the dishes in it. We've actually employed in many places throughout the book. Dr. Krupain, if we could take a quick pause when we come back, more on what to eat when, the cookbook. Don't go away. back and we're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Dr. Michael Krupain is here. The What to Eat When cookbook. Eat only when the sun is up. Eat more early and less later. We're learning the secrets so that we can 
truly indulge in the foods that we love. I can't wait to make the broccoli gremolata. So I I love a gremolata. I know it is. So (laughs) talk about the virtues of broccoli. I'm sure it's on the list of those things you think we aren't eating enough of. And I'd love for you to to tell us about those. Start with broccoli, if you would. Okay. Well, yeah, the (laughs) things we aren't eating enough of include vegetables. And broccoli is certainly my favorite vegetable. It's a cruciferous vegetable, rich in nitrogen, which is good for your cardiovascular health. Mm. Obviously, it's got lots of fiber has amazing phytonutrients. It's one of those vegetables that's good for cancer prevention mm. and just about everything. And I think it's one of the most delicious vegetables. But I think uh, the other problem with broccoli is people don't know how to cook it properly, right? We're used to always eating like either sort of boring steamed broccoli or boiled mushy broccoli. And what that's you want to do with broccoli is you want to go somewhere in the middle, right? You want, to, you want it to be cooked but still a little bit crispy and uh, not drown out its wonderful flavor with cheese. And so, like, the broccoli cremolata recipe is a simple way of just um, creating, blanching some broccoli, sautéing it, and then having a nice, um, interesting topping that brings out the flavor of the broccoli. And, of course, adding nuts makes it even healthier for you. Yes, and you're a nut advocate. I didn't call you a nut, Dr. Crupain. And, <laughs> and for those that just tuned in, by the way, you're late because Dr. Michael Crupain is here and we're sharing the new release, the companion cookbook to What to Eat When. You know the New York Times bestseller, of course, to transform your life the when way. Well, now we're adding the what to eat when you know best to eat it. And we're dishing on some of the best recipes from this beautiful compilation. Uh, You like nuts. I understand broccoli or vegetables, cruciferous specifically. We should add more to our diet. Are are walnuts one of the nuts I know you speak about, very high in plant-based omega, that we're not (laughs) eating enough of? You love those too. That's right. We're obsessed with eating, you know, it's very important to eat more nuts and seeds. There's a big JAMA study that came out a couple years ago now that had that high on the list of the foods we're not eating enough, enough of. of. And walnuts are certainly our favorite nut because of the omega-3s that they have, and they're mm-hmm. also delicious. You know, when I, Mike Royzen really turned me on to walnuts in a way. <laughs> I always liked walnuts, but he really, really liked walnuts and got me into walnuts. They're in lots of the dishes in the book. Mm-hmm. They add crunch, they add fat, they add protein, they add fiber. Um, they're delicious. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you start eating walnuts as a snack, and you start cutting down in the sugar in your life, you actually discover that walnuts are kind of sweet, hmm. uh, which is pretty cool. I think it's interesting when you just said if you if you cut down on the sugar, you'll find the sweetness in other things. It really is true. We can taper our palate to learn the flavor profile of certain things and learn to adore them. And if you cut back on sugar and you're not used to such things so cloyingly sweet, you learn to appreciate the sweetness in other flavors. And yeah, I I, I think that's a really interesting uh, culinary perspective. Yeah. And another place you pick it up in a recipe in the book is the uh, the beet muhammara. So that's just... uh, I love a muhammara. Yeah. So so we made it with beets and you make it with raw beets and it's pretty simple. It's just pretty much ground up raw beets with a little bit of olive oil, garlic, some some nuts and um, some spices if you want, but you don't have to. But when you cook, raw beets are surprisingly sweet, again, yes. if you, uh, again, if you sort of are mindful of the flavor. Uh, you know, we, we use beets to make sugar, so it makes sense. But, uh, you know, that was sort of surprised me when I first started eating uh, raw beets, how, how sweet they were. 
I happen to love raw vegetables like um, thin ribbons of zucchini in a salad or mm-hmm. yellow squash, uh, raw beets for crunch and texture. And I think they are delicious as well. And there's so many more uses to those raw vegetables than we give credit to. Uh, so wonderful ways uh, to incorporate. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it you or Chef Jim that made a raisin reduction? What a oh, wonderful yeah, so that, way to sweeten recipes. Yeah, so that's, again, one of Chef Jim's techniques for adding sugar without adding sugar. So making sure. something sweet without adding sugar. Uh, the raisin reduction is <laughs> featured prominently in, in many recipes Yes, uh, throughout the book, in, in the cashewnade that we mentioned before, and in a lot of the desserts. And, you know, there are actually a lot of desserts in this book, and they are, um, some of them, quite decadent, hmm. considering that there is no added sugar. We made the other day... We were on the Dr. Oz show, and we made the um, the whole grain uh, dark chocolate what to eat when bars uh, for that show, and they were amazing. The whole staff couldn't get enough of them, and they're basically like um, a nut and dried fruit uh, cookie layer with a chocolate ganache layer on top, <laughs> but yes. no added sugar and no added cream, and they're fantastic. I thank you for gracing this show once again. Thank you for talking food with us. I love that you love to cook and love to eat. And I promise I will not go to the freezer for ice cream for breakfast tomorrow morning, but I might spread artichoke crema on something. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> I look forward to having you on again, Dr. Coupain. Thank you for taking the time. And again, congratulations on the cookbook. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of truly delicious conversation. I hope that it fed your soul and that you'll tune in every weekend as I plan to share with you lots more fabulous food. But don't go yet. It's my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration for this week. As promised, it's a three-ingredient caramel pear galette. It's really just a rustic pie. And I have to tell you, with three ingredients, it's a rock star dessert, really. You need a prepared pie crust. Uh, You can even use the store-bought if you like. A few ripe pears and some really good quality caramel sauce. You roll out the pie dough to a round, rough round circle, and you transfer it to a baking sheet. And then you toss the pears with some caramel sauce and a big pinch of salt, and you arrange the pears in the center, and then you just fold the crust up over the edges, overlapping, leaving the pears at the center exposed, and you bake it for about 50 minutes at 375. You serve it with more delicious caramel sauce. And I have to tell you, it is truly super fabulous. I am posting my three ingredient caramel pear rustic pie, I'm going to call it, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where I hope that you will become a friend and a fan. And I will meet you here next weekend when there's lots more to dish on in your radio. If you're looking for my best turkey tips, visit chefjamie.com. And please stay healthy, wear a mask, and continue to eat well. Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. Thank you for listening. 